Okay. So how many of you have ever heard of the music group The Birds? <gasps> a lot. Okay, did you know that they had a hit song that was written directly from this passage of Ecclesiastes? Anyone know what the name of it was? All right, I was actually going to ask you to shout it out, but you got it. There's also a pastor down at uh, Fall Creek Baptist Church in Tennessee. His name is Victor Haynes, and he says there's four seasons to a person's life. There's a time when we believe in Santa Claus. There's a time when we no longer believe in Santa Claus. There's a time when we are Santa Claus. And there's a time when we look like Santa Claus. <laughs> yep. There's a time when you're young and cute enough that it's time to have a little more music, even though the rest of the church is stopping. And there's a time when you're just too cool to have any more music. There's a time for watching football. And at least before ESPN, there was a time for not watching football. Now it's pretty much football season all year. Pretty much. Um, I'm going to read those words again that, that Larry said from Ecclesiastes, the beginning of chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. I swear it's not too late, although you may be disappointed though that part isn't actually in the, in the Bible, it's in the song. I swear it's not too late. Great words, though. Now, tradition tells us that the book of Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon. If you know the story of Solomon, at the top of his, his game, he was the richest, wisest, most powerful king of, of Israel. By the end of his, his career, his wealth and his, his power and his thousand or so wives and concubines had, had gotten the better of him and he had started worshiping other gods and, and by his corruption he set the stage for the division of Israel and its, its loss of power in, in the next generation. But at some point in this eventful life, if tradition is correct, Solomon sat down and wrote these words that became great lyrics for the birds. Absolutely. And one of the things that I failed to mention when we got up here was uh, who I am or who we are. 
My name is Chris Eshelman. For those that don't, that don't know me, I'm a member here at Faith Westwood. And uh, you also may not know that I actually work for the Great Plains Conference here in, in the Omaha office. So I'm kind of part of the conference that Faith Westwood is a member of. And I think this guy is Chris. I'm, I'm the other Chris. Uh, my actual name is Steve. That's what my parents called me anyway. And... Uh, uh, People call me Chris, they never call her Steve, and I've never figured out why. But I'm, I'm the one who doesn't work. I work in a regular job. I don't work for the Great Plains United Methodist Conference. Absolutely. Well, back to Ecclesiastes. We learn that everything in life changes. You know, our Methodist denomination that I talked about has seen many changes from the days of John Wesley. You know, John Wesley preached out in the fields, and then when he came to the United States, there was circuit riders, and then pretty soon there was permanent structures, and then there was a split in the denomination over slavery. But guess what? We rejoined, and we're now a global denomination. This church itself has experienced a lot of changes in its history. They started out as two churches, and they became one that we know today as Faith Westwood. There's been several pastors that have come and, and gone and led this church. There was a structure that was built. It started over there in a parsonage, and now we had a structure. And this structure has seen expansions and rebuilds and, and all of that kind of thing over, over, over its time. So we all know that change does come. And when we adjust to those ever-changing seasons of life, we can do it in one of two ways. We can do it with defiance and hostility, or we can do it with dignity and with grace, looking to God for guidance and help. Ecclesiastes shows us that when we live apart from God, it is frustrating and not good. When we look to material things for happiness and pleasure, we find unhappiness and a sense of pointlessness. When our primary aim is to find life in our earthly goals and blessings, we usually find dissatisfaction and emptiness. But when life is lived worshiping and obeying God and enjoying this life, we can weather those storms in all of those changes and speaking of changes and storms, there, you know, as we know, there's, there's four seasons to our weather, winter, spring, summer, and fall. Uh-oh. That reminds me of another song, a James Taylor song. You know it? Winter, spring, spring summer, and fall. You've got a friend. Okay, okay, okay. 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 Back to Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Friendship is important, though. Uh, Solomon elsewhere in, in Ecclesiastes wrote, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So even if it's not football season, even if it's not singing season, it's always friendship season. Absolutely. And if we're prepared and we adjust to those seasons, just like we prepare and adjust for the seasons of nature, then we need to focus on the truth, such as found in the, the passages in Ecclesiastes. We know that the seasons of life bring change and purpose to our lives according to God's will. So the first thing that Solomon writes is a time to be born. Everything that comes after birth 
is what we experience as events in our lives. To everything, there is a season. As we experience those events, they're wrapped up in our seasons of life. There's some changes or seasons of life that we love, and quite frankly, there's some that we dread and we just as soon not experience, but that's part of life. That's part of our changes. Steve and I actually met when we were in our 30s, and neither one of us had been married before, and, you know, quite honestly, personally for me, I had a career, a really good job. I had just bought my first home. I had a great number of friends that I loved spending time with. I had extended family that I spent almost every weekend with. And I certainly didn't need a boyfriend, let alone a husband. Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) I can respond to that. I can remember the exact moment. It was only about three months after we met, Valentine's Day, 1994, when I realized to my surprise that I had met the love of my life and God was calling me to marry her. I was not quite ready at that point to actually take that step of marrying her. It took about uh, nine or ten more months. Um, Ecclesiastes also says there's a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. It was important for both of us, I think, at that point. We needed to refrain from our embracing, that it would make our, our marriage stronger. As it, as it did, that we took those months to transition from, from the single life of having our own space, our own apartments, our own separate interests, to, to making a life together as husband and wife. Mm-hmm. And you know, even one thing, after we were married, um, we didn't see a whole lot of each other. He worked nights, I worked days, his days off were Tuesday and Wednesday, my days off were Saturday and Sunday. So I always said that God knew what he was doing when he brought us together, and our life together was a transition. It wasn't just walking in the door and all of a sudden we're together 24-7. It was a gradual process, and we trusted in God's plan. We didn't like it because we were married and we wanted to be together, but we trusted in God's plan that he knew what he was doing, and I think we're better off for it. But the one thing that I do want to say is that I had a lot of joy and peace and fulfillment in my singleness. So I'm not saying that marriage is the end-all and be-all. Singleness was wonderful. And I, and I thank God for those years that I had that singleness. And it brought us together because God had a plan in the new season of our lives. But you know, 10 years before I even met Steve, I was 24. Okay, now you know how old I was when I got married, or met him, I should say. It was actually one of the worst times of my life. I was in college, and my mother had just been diagnosed with terminal cancer. We really walked a road of darkness and despair, not knowing what the next day was going to bring. We crammed a lot of years into a few months because we knew her seasons were going to be short. And 15 months later, after she was diagnosed, she did pass away. And of course, there was weeping and there was mourning and there was hurt, but there was also joy. There was joy and peace in knowing that this season of her life was over and she was now completely healed in the arms of her Savior. 
It was about the same time in my life, years before we met, that I was facing the death of my grandmother on my dad's side. Um, Ecclesiastes also tells us there's a time to be born, a time to die. When grandma died, my sister was pregnant with her first child, my parents' first grandchild, uh, grandma's sixth or seventh great-grandchild, but I thought it was, or looking back today, it seems quite fitting that, that as she was saying goodbye to us, it was time to die, but it was also time for little Derek to be born. Mm-hmm. So both in joy and sorrow, the important thing to remember is that God is with us to bring good to us from all that we experience. Paul reminds us of this in Romans 8.28 where he states, And now that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God is always there and he's always working on our behalf. He wants to bring good to us in all that we experience. My other grandmother lived to be 102. Um, The last years of her life were not good, and she questioned many times why it would, why she was allowed to to linger in in life as she faced increasing disabilities, depression, um, uh, the loss of her husband and her son, and, and all her old friends. Um, And, you know, Ecclesiastes also says there's a time to search and a time to give up. Uh, We can't answer all those questions that she had. I do know, uh, for one thing, that that she has a lot of great-grandchildren who would never have had the relationship with her that they had had if she had had uh, died 10 years earlier. Our son Mark uh, was not quite 10 years old at the time, and he still today remembers how grandmother used to tell him he had the best hugs in the world, and, and what a loss it would be for him now if he didn't have that memory. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I wanted to share also with Mark's memory of being the world's best hugger, and I hope I don't embarrass him. He's kind of sitting back there in the corner today. But um, (laughs) a few weeks ago, I was getting our house ready, and I was going through for his graduation, actually, and I was going through some boxes of old papers, and believe it or not, I ran across a birthday card that was for Mark, and I opened it up, and the card was actually from grandmother. Um, And it had a $10 bill in it. And so I gave it to Mark, and he read the card, and he's put the card away now. And and he put that $10 bill in his pocket. And uh, a few days later, I don't even remember where we were, but we needed a little bit of money for something. He goes, oh, I've got that $10 bill from Grandma, Grandmother. And then he thought for a moment, and he said, you know, He says, I think I'm going to hang on to that for just a little bit longer to help me remember grandmother. He would have never had that memory of being the world's best hugger had he not had the relationship that he did with grandmother. I can can say it because he's here and his brother is not, but if it had been his brother, his tribute to grandmother would have been spending that money as quickly as he could. (laughs) 
That is true. <laughs> but that just shows that, that we're each and every one of us is different. We have our own personalities and we have our own way of doing things. Um, you know, and we trust God in different ways. So it's also important to remember that while our God is sovereign, as we, sovereign, as we experience life changes, he also allows for free will and for us to make our own choice. But believe it or not, while we're off doing our own thing and making our own choices, he's still in control. Think of Jesus' crucifixion. God's plan was that Christ would come, he would suffer, and he would die for, the, for our sins. In 1 Peter 1.20 it says, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. God used the decisions and choices of the men and women, all of those men and women that were filled in that Colosseum and were shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! that just a few days before were saying, hallelujah, hallelujah. But God used their choices to redeem us through the sacrifice of his own son. There's no change that you will ever face that can surprise God because he already knows. Yet, as we travel through these events in the seasons of our lives, change is inevitable. But with God's help, we can plan and prepare for those changes. God already knows the changes that are going to happen or that we're going to face. So we just have to trust him to take us into our tomorrow and the next tomorrow and the next and the next. There's a prayer that I know I rely on a lot of times, and I'm sure that many of you that have been through recovery programs know very well. And if you know it, you are more than welcome to say it with me. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. We must trust and walk by faith to face the changes in our lives. Now I have a question for you. How many times have you heard someone say, because that's the way we've always done it? <laughs> Come on, I know there's more than five hands. <laughs> yep. Because you know why I know that? Because I've said it. I've said it more than once. And I know he's said it too. Trust me. <laughs> no? <laughs> well, you know what? That's okay. Because we do learn from history and repetitiveness, but the problem becomes when we say, because that's the way we've always done it, we use that as an excuse or a crutch, as resistance or reluctance to face an inevitable change. If the change is inevitable, then why do we resist it? Well, you know, the easy answer is to say, because it's habit, or we're human. But you know the real reason we don't like change? is because it moves us out of our comfort zone. It moves us in a place that we don't know where we're going. We don't understand why we're there. We don't know the outcome of that change. Do you know, though, that God uses that change to help us grow in our faith? 
because change causes us to reevaluate our lives and maybe the event that we're in. It helps us make adjustments and look at ourselves differently. It helps us to see our lives or the situation from a different perspective so that we can change for the better. Think about the change that the disciples faced when Jesus was crucified. You know, they didn't want that change. They didn't want him to leave. They wanted him physically there with him. They wanted him to end the Roman rule. But it was after Jesus left that they realized their mission. And they were motivated to change and to be used by God to preach the gospel and to perform good works for his sake. We cannot control change, but what we can do is seek God more fully for guidance and wisdom. In Proverbs it says, and I know this is a, this is a favorite verse for many of you, it says that in all our ways we are to acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. If we become more willing to do this, then change becomes less scary. About a year and a half after Steve and I were married, I found myself in a job situation, and the company was kind of going in a direction that I just wasn't sure that I wanted to go there. So I knew it was time for a change. So I prayed. Now, I'm going to be honest. I probably, you know, 22 years ago, I probably didn't pray as faithfully as I should have. But I did pray, and I ultimately had some interviews, and I accepted a job here in Omaha. We were living in Lincoln at the time. But you know, that brought on a lot of changes. We had to sell our home. We had to pack and move. We had to find a new church, which by the way, this was the church we chose. Mm -hmm. But we had to find a new church. We had to find new friends. And the list just keeps going on and on. Anyone that's ever moved, you know what that list is like. Steve was actually still finishing up college, so we decided to wait a few months before making that change, so I commuted back and forth for a few months. When we're faced with a change, whether it's one we can see coming or one that hits us out of the blue, whether we want to or not, we usually are forced, we really are forced to totally depend on God. If we can do this, we will see that the changes we face will ultimately bring good. God uses change in our lives to change us. Job said it really well in, in 23.10, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Peter also says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. What we discovered in that season was the more we relied on God and trusted that he was in control, everything seemed to come out just fine. We didn't have to worry about it. As I mentioned, Steve was in college. He was offered a job three months before he graduated. We bought a house in Omaha, trusting that our house in Lincoln would sell. Guess what? It did. 
We moved and we settled into our lives here. And 22 years later, the rest is history. History continues to unfold, though. About, uh, I would say, about nine months and three or four days after we moved into that house in Omaha, started drinking that <laughs> Omaha water, um, our first son was born, and, and our next son was born two and a half years after that. But career-wise, for me, the two best things that ever happened to me were were taking that job in Omaha and, and being let go from that same job 20 years later. Um, and not only that, but being laid, laid off from the same job, that, or from the job that I took a few months after that one. Um, but they were both great steps because they, they led me into the job I'm in now. I claimed earlier that I worked in a regular job, but I'm actually a, a professional poet. Uh, <laughs> News to me. Or also called a software developer, but that's my poetry. And, and uh, through the new skills that I've learned in, in the new phase of my career, I've learned all kinds of incredible things that, that I would never have, have learned if I'd allowed myself to be, or if I'd been allowed to be stuck in the same old job. And, and those are blessings that I would just never have had if, if, if uh, I hadn't been forced to move on. Mm -hmm. So as we go through the events of our winter, spring, summer, and fall, we must adjust our attitudes and look to the one who is in control Trusting by faith and knowing he will guide our path. We must face our changes humbly. Paul adjusted to the change in his life with an attitude of humility. He says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. Whether fed, well-fed, or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Steve and I are actually entering a new season of our life. Our sons are both out of school. One's actually on his own. The other one is headed off to college. So I like to call this maybe our empty nest stage, that beginning of that. But I also call it a time of rediscovery, if you will, because we're humbly and faithfully trusting God to guide us and lead us in this season of change because we both know God's not finished with us yet. So I ask you, what season of life are you facing right now? For us, it's, it's been... A season of great change, not only becoming almost empty nesters, uh, with the one still, still kind of living at home, and once in a while we actually get to have supper with them, and <laughs> usually as sometime during the day, as one of us is heading north and the other is heading south, we run into each other and say hi. But but it's been a great time and a, a time of unimagined joy as 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 Chris and I have reconnected during the past few months. Uh, we've gone from our early marriage where we had so much, you know, 
sheer emotion of being in love to being in love to a, in a brand new way as, as best friends who have 20 plus years of, of life together and, and many, many more years to, to enjoy, many more seasons that we look forward to. Absolutely. And I think what Steve is saying is that we're much like Paul. We are content wherever God takes us. We pray that we continue to find the life lessons God has to teach us in all the seasons of our remaining life. So I just want to leave you with these words. Trust in Christ and his word to guide you as you face your challenges. I give this all to you in Jesus' name. Amen.